0: Okay, so we're now at the fourth of our retreat talks, um, and this is the third of the triptych on faith, hope, and love. Today we're going to be talking about the priest as a man of love. So just to remind you where this is kind of fit into the kind of package, Monday I talked about the priest as a man of hope, how lots of good people in our world have just lost hope. In society, in the church, even in the priesthood, we have to bring hope. And we have as Christians a distinctive reason to hope. Yesterday I spoke about the priest as a man of faith. Um, that the priest is a man of faith should just bring into the room, just radiate that sense, God is real. God is here. Um, today, the priest as a man of love. The greatest of these is love. So it's the ultimate fruit of the other two, the ultimate goal. So let's start with a sense of, really, is this too obvious a question? Why is love relevant? Well, we might say perennially that love is relevant to the priesthood because, to quote St. John Vianney, the priesthood is the love of the heart of Jesus. That, Simply put, love is what the priest is to manifest of Jesus. But I'd add that for us in our society today, there's a particular relevance in love, that there are many people who doubt that they are lovable that we live in a a broken and wounded society, people doubt that they are lovable, that there's lots of loneliness out there, Um, people who feel neglected, people who feel unloved and unlovable. don't know how many of you know the book um, Hurt 2.0, an analysis of, of youth culture, it reflects on um, Generation Z, so from, I guess, your generation. It tries to say, what is the defining experience of your generation? What has my generation given to your generation? I'm um, Generation X, generally speaking, the parents of your generation. My generation typically divorced, typically separated your generation left typically feeling abandoned. So it defines abandonment as the primary psychological experience of your generation, hurt as the wound in your generation. That there's a lot in our society of hurt, of woundedness, of people who doubt that they are lovable, both adults and children. And so, Love is relevant because you've got to show them love. You've got to show them that they're lovable. Okay, obviously also, back to basics, what is love? I'll quote the Catechism, which quotes St. Thomas. To love is to will the good of the other. So not to be focused on myself, but to be focused on the other. To see somebody and want what is good for them. To choose something that will be their flourishing, their development, their good. To love is to will the good of the other. Not focused on me, not focused on my agenda. To look at you and want what is good for you. And again, in terms of the relevance of this, there's a lot of people in the world who think that everybody's out to get something for themselves, who doubt that there are people who do truly love, who do truly want not what is good for themselves, but want what's good for you for your sake. Lots of people who doubt that anybody's like that. What the world needs is to know that there are people who do truly will what is good for them and you as a priest have to be manifesting that in yourself. Okay, what does the priest of love look like? This is kind of how I've structured each of these presentations. So first, repeating that quote from St. John Vianney again, if the priesthood is the love of the heart of Jesus, then when people see this priest, they see an image of Jesus' love for them, that they have a glimpse of Jesus. So if you picture an image of the Sacred Heart, that in artwork is describing, portraying the love of Jesus, well, the priest in flesh is to, supposed to be a portrait, an image of the love of Jesus. That the love of the Lord, what does he do? Well, he feeds and sustains in the sacraments. He guides and protects in teaching. He shepherds and governs. All this is the priest's manifesting imparting what jesus is loving in his people making visible the priesthood is the love of the heart of jesus that's what the priest looks like something else he looks like and i want to dwell on this at some length joy now what's the first fruit of love it's joy so the fruits of, of love are also um, peace and um, patience, and, but especially joy. So um, you know, you guys have all been in seminary a long time, but when you were, last time you went on a date, if a teenager, if a girl agrees to go on a date, you don't need to tell that teenager to be happy, he's just happy, yeah? Um, Love has this natural fruit of joy. And the love of God, well, he's even more lovable than a girlfriend, even more dependable than a wife. A greater good and therefore a greater joy. And if the priesthood is a man in love, he's going to show that joy. And people need to see that. Want to think tomistically a second about how that joy is something shareable. In contrast spiritual joy with physical material pleasure. Thinking tomistically now. So if I have a cookie and if I give you half of my cookie, then I have less pleasure. That pleasure, physical pleasure is caused by contact with a physical good. If I have less cookie I get less pleasure because I've given you half my cookie. But spiritual joy, when I give you half my cookie out of love for you, I see you enjoy the cookie. I share in the joy, the pleasure, the rejoicing you have in the cookie. And so the joy I have in my love for you, yes, I've got less physical pleasure, but my joy in that love and in that giving, in giving it away, is increased. So spiritual joy is shareable. Spiritual joy, the quest of it in myself that I find in him, is just a naturally shareable thing. And so the joy in the priest, the joy in the priest who is a man of love is just a communicable, a shareable joy. So the joy in the priest, I should see it in my priest. I should want to share it. I can share it. You as the priest, it grows as you share it. The priest of love radiates joy. Now let's think a minute about joy on the face of Jesus. So I'm trying to portray joy on the face of the priest. Well, if joy is a fruit of love, what must have been the joy on the face of Jesus? When he went to pray, when the son went to commune with the father, what must have been the look on his face? No greater love than the love between the Son and the Father, a love so great it spirates into the Holy Spirit. When the disciples saw the Son commune with the Father, what must have been the look on his face? They said, Lord, teach us to pray. They must have seen him praying and wanted a share in that. What do the parishioners see on the face of the priest when he prays? Do they see love on his face? When he genuflects, does he look glad to be greeting the Lord? You know, when he's going down, is he, is he glad at who he's, he's greeting? When he stops to pay a visit to the Blessed Sacrament, does he look like he's doing a chore or does he look like he's greeting a friend? And you as a seminarian right now, when you genuflect, is it an act of love? Are you greeting a friend? Or are you just doing a chore? You know, there's. that that, that running genuflection, I'm just on my way and barely looking at the tabernacle. It's the kind of thing I do. Well, what is that? Um, When the parishioners see that, what do they see? The priest who is a man in love with the Lord, that joy, he's glad to be greeting the Lord, that that genuflection is a precious moment in his day. So I'd encourage you to examine yourself, your own behavior. Um, How do you genuflect? So that whole section, the basic point, what does the priest of love look like? He looks like a man with joy. Third, um, what does he look like? Well, he's visibly a man for others. That when you talk to a priest who's a man of love, he's interested in you. He's concerned about you. His conversation is you. Um, That such a priest is thinking about his people. That yes, he's got his finances, he's got his projects, he's got the latest organ that they're buying. Um, But he's fundamentally, he's got to be a people person. Yeah, and some of us are people-persons, naturally, were we're extroverts, but that can be a people-person that's a kind of, I'm interested in you because it entertains me. The priest needs to be a people-person in the sense that he lives for his people, to serve his people, because he loves them. He knows he loves them, and so he loves them too. So we need to train ourselves to be people-priests visibly men for others. Okay, how? How do we build love in us? Well, let's just start with a little aside. Love is divine charity. It's the life of God himself within us. So I can't, cause that, I can only uh, cooperate with it. Um, Supernatural, it's not an acquired virtue, I cannot cause it, I can only cooperate with it. So what's the first, the primary aid to growth in divine charity? St. Thomas says contemplation. He is the cause, I contemplate Him, I grow in love of him. So when I contemplate him, he is love and he is lovable. And the more I'm thinking about him, the more my intellect is knowing him, contemplating, pondering him, the more my will is fired up. I grow in love. I still need to choose to love him but it flows naturally out of contemplation. Contemplation also, as a priest of my people, so particularly as as a pastor with your parishioners, you've got to be contemplating their needs. So if I'm thinking about Betty, thinking about what I know is going on in her life, her problems, her house, her grandchild, her this. If I'm thinking about her, I'm able to love her, to want what is good for her. It's hard to will good for people if you're not even thinking about what they are, what their situation is. So you've got new parishioners to be trying to envisage them and envisage the good for them. Um, when you've got difficult parishioners, um, so even in contemplating their errors, their weirdness, their, um, to be thinking about them so that you're therefore able. Just as contemplating the Lord, I increase in my love of him. So I contemplate my parishioners, kind of, you know, dare I say in the right way, rather than listing all the things I've got against Betty. Um, contemplating my parishioners, I can grow in love for them. Or well, a second aid to growth in love, to be a priest of love, self-sacrifice. So love is... Self-gift. Well, we can only give of ourselves if we're sacrificing of ourselves. So we have to sacrifice our money, our time, our pleasures. I think, as a priest, it's sacrificing our time that is probably our biggest thing. What's the thing I'm most precious about? What's the thing that kind of sums up all the things I'm giving away is my time because that includes my priorities my agendas, my tasks so I think I need to be intentional about sacrificing my time um, whether that's allowing people to interrupt my time or which includes generosity so you know the heart of that self-sacrifice has to have that generosity, why am I sacrificing myself in generosity Um, and I want to with that kind of address that nagging doubt in all of us I think that when I'm giving of myself when I'm being generous you know will there be anything left for me if I give this up will there be anything left for me I need a little bit left I can't give it all away. And I think we need to directly confront that fear within us. So theologically, I think we need to come back to, you know, the promise of the hundredfold. When Peter says to the Lord, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. Will there be nothing left for us? Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, brothers, sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands for my sake and the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. This promise of the hundredfold. However much I'm fearing in that generosity, will there be nothing left for me? He promises me a hundredfold, which means I need to therefore let go. He doesn't promise me like for like in that hundredfold. So, in my generosity, what I give, I don't get the same thing a hundredfold back. I get something else, though, that he describes as a hundredfold. don't know how many of you have seen that meme of the little girl with the teddy and the Jesus with an even bigger teddy behind, and she's hesitating to give her little teddy to Jesus. Um, and he's not showing what he's going to give to her, this even bigger teddy, um, and she's saying, but Lord, I love it. You know, I don't want to give it away. I love it. Um, but he's got something even bigger to give if she does hand it over. And obviously that meme expresses that there's something even bigger the Lord will give for us for our generosity, um, it could mistakenly imply that you get a like for like, a a teddy for a teddy. Yeah, whereas, um, you know, I give up as a priest, as a celibate, the the possibility of a wife. Um, I get another wife, the church. Um, Sometimes she looks like the beautiful bride she is. Sometimes she looks a little less than beautiful. Um, But I get a wife for a wife. It's not a bigger teddy for a smaller teddy, but it is something better. Everything we give in generosity, we get something better in return. All of that trying to articulate one of the ways to grow in love, to be able to become a priest who is a man of love, self-sacrifice generosity. Okay, a bit more briefly, but a third aid for growth in love, forgiveness. So one of the things that stops me loving people is my refusal to forgive them for the little things they've done to me. So in the parish setting, you will have many parishioners who will thwart you in different little ways. Um, You need to have as a continual habit pattern to forgive. Yes, I see this. Um, Betty did this to me again. Um, I forgive. I choose to forgive. I let it go. Um, Insults, criticisms, gossip, inconsiderateness. Phoning me at midnight. Betty phoning to say, Father, I've remembered the flowers I left in front of St. Joseph's statue. They need to be in front of Our Lady's statue today. Um, And it's midnight. Um, to forgive, um, that we can't love unless we forgive. Let go. Okay, I have two final aids for growing in love, in a more practical sense. Um, one, sleep and rest and diet. Now there's a selfish version of wanting to sleep, um, where I'm upset at Betty Betty bringing me at midnight because it's going to stop the sleep I want to have. I've had a, a long day, I want to sleep. But there's another way of wanting to sleep that isn't about me, it's about my capacity to give. So sometimes I don't want to go to bed at night Um, Because I just enjoy that kind of procrastinating, that kind of pottering around, um, that slowness in going to bed because this is a bit of me time. Um, But in generosity, I know the people need me to be awake tomorrow. The people need the priest who is awake enough to be able to serve them. And so my sleeping is about my capacity to serve. So, sleep at night, rest on my day of rest, diet and exercise. Just, you know, these are kind of mundane things and they're all things we can seek for a selfish reason. But they're also things that we, if we're going to be physically capable of loving our people the way they need to be loved, they need to be a part of my life part of my priesthood a good night's sleep I talked about mortification the other day come a few years ago now um, when I was a young priest I had a spiritual director as a priest of Opus Dei um, and um, I'd been reading about mortification and I'd been reading about how important mortification was in the spiritual life uh, and how it would have all of these consequences in my life if, if I was mortified and I engaged in mortification. So, you know, I had all this in my mind and my thinking. I went to my spiritual director and I described it all to him and I knew that in Opus day they do real mortifications, bodily corporal mortifications. I laid it all out to him. I'm ready. What mortification should I do? And he said, Dylan, the mortification you need to do is you need to go to bed on time. Which is pretty belittling, and you know, I said, um, and I didn't want to go to bed on time. That sounded pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, c- could I not have a whip instead? <laughs> you know, um, sleep's really important, and sleep can be a thing of self-denial, of mortification, um, in order for us to live for others, die for self, to live for others, um, get a good night's sleep. So I'm at the Josephinum. So we think a lot about Saint Joseph. Um, you know that statue of Saint Joseph the Sleeper. You know the angel appeared to Saint Joseph four times. What was he doing every time he was sleeping? What do the Gospels record Saint Joseph doing more than anything? Sleeping. Um, why did he sleep? Well, I have a theory. He slept because he worked. Yeah, a man who works sleeps. Um, but if he was sleeping if the gospels were always recording him sleeping sleep must be a pretty important thing so sleep Um, one of the ways to be able to be free to be physically capable of loving your people you need to sleep a fifth and final aid for growth in love again a kind of mundane, practical thing, but I think is really important. Self-organization. You can't give yourself to others if you're not master of yourself and master of your time. So, you know, the PPF talks about self-awareness, self-mastery, self-gift. If you're not master of yourself, you cannot give yourself. If you're not master of your time, if you're not organized, you're not ready to give yourself. So you need to plan your life, plan your time, um, in order to be, you know, I know this sounds really unexciting, um, but the longer I've been a priest, the more I've become convinced this is a really important way of me loving my people and loving my seminarians. For me to be able to be spontaneously available when somebody calls me, or knocks on my door at the office, I can't have a pile of tasks I'm still rushing to achieve. I've got to be on top of things. I've got to be organized, so that when I'm interrupted, I have that freedom, because I'm on top of things, to be able to serve. So self-organization, I offer to you as as a kind of final, unexciting, practical, but I would suggest essential thing you need if you're gonna be able to be free to love your people. Okay, um, before I sum this up, I wanna say a word. We're nearly at the end of the retreat. A word about retreat resolutions. Yes, I've been suggesting to you each of these talks what a man of hope is. What a man of faith is. What a man of love is. Some specifics on how you can grow in those things. Well, I'm hoping you're thinking of resolutions to be carrying out of your retreat. Um, I was. I'm rereading at the moment the Soul of the Apostolate. Um, he talks about how, in your mental prayer, your daily mental prayer, the importance of resolutions flowing out of that. So. Um, St. Vincent de Paul says, the principal fruit of mental prayer consists in making a good resolution. My prayer generally, it should flow out into a different way of living um, and just small little everyday resolutions. I've meditated on this this morning. I resolve today. I've been meditating about humility today. I'm just going to do that little humble thing there. Your retreat... If it's not going to end with you saying, Ah, oh, that was a nice little restful time with Jesus. Um, if it's going to impact your life, you need to have some resolutions to flow out. Resolutions that are big enough to be important, but are also limited enough that they're not too many. So, you know, so if you've got 67 resolutions you've made from this last few days that you're going to, well, 67 resolutions is like making no resolutions. Yeah? Not too many, not too few. Um, St. Jose Maria talks about, and I've quoted him a lot, but he talks about hinges. You know, a hinge on a door is a small little thing that a huge door pivots around. And you want in your life to identify little hinges a small little thing you can change, that there's a whole pattern of activity that will move as a consequence. So if there's something in your life, whether it's humility or love or mortification, or it's your kind of general big thing to identify a small little hinge, if I work on that, it will have that wider effect moving out into other things into my life. And obviously, your resolutions. Take them to your spiritual director, so you've got somebody else to bounce back. That either, well, that that doesn't sound enough of a thing to be flowing out of a retreat, or that just doesn't sound realistic, um, or whatever. But to get a bit of advice on whether um, whether that's a good vision for a resolution. Okay, summing up today's talk then. So I said, today, the priest is a man of love. The people today, they doubt that they're lovable. They experience hurt. They need the priest to be a man of love, a priest of love, a priest who looks like the heart of Jesus, a priest who is a man for others, a priest who is a man of joy, who radiates that joy in his prayer. When you see him praying, you know here's a man in love, a joy that is inherently shareable, that we grow in love by contemplation, by self-sacrifice, by generosity, by forgiveness, by the mundane things of sleep and rest and diet and exercise and that self-organization to make me capable of being ready to give myself when the moment arises. But above all, by union with the heart of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the Father, and to the Son, and of the, the Holy Spirit.